If you have ever returned to work for a job that you really love and care about after having a baby, you are really going to relate to this episode with Gina Mundy. If you had a close friend or family member who you felt really comfortable with and who was able to guide you and teach you while breastfeeding, you're going to love this episode. If you have ever struggled to find time to pump at work or had a stressful position which definitely had an impact on your milk supply, you are going to love this episode. There is so much crammed into this episode with my guest, Gina Mundy. I can't wait for you to hear it. Hi, Gina. Welcome to the Milk Making Minutes. I'm so glad you're here. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited for today's conversation. Yes, me too. So before we get into your own stories, I would love for you to introduce yourself and your family and the work. Oh, sure. So I am a mom and I have three kids. My oldest is 19. My middle child is 15. Both of them, my older ones are girls. My older kids are girls. And then my youngest child is my son and uh, he's nine. So I live in, it's it's like the working mom gap is what I call it. So as they started to go more independent, get into kindergarten, I'm like, all right, let's have another baby. Right. Um, So yeah. So I live in Michigan uh, with my family. I've been married for 21 years. And then I've also been a childbirth attorney for 21 years. So that's an attorney that specializes in childbirth cases. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that later. Yeah. Yeah. And you have some interesting work and you've been sharing this work in a variety of ways. Um, I heard you say somewhere that you kind of just fell into being a childbirth attorney. That was it. I wish I had a more interesting story. You know, I was the very first podcast and they were like, how'd you get into this? I'm like, uh, it's my first job out of law school. But as you, as I just said, I have been married the same amount of time. I've been a childbirth attorney. So having a baby was on my radar. So when I was hired into a team of 20 people, and that's over 20 people, and that's all they did were childbirth cases. I, it was very alarming because just so your audience understands, those are cases involving the birth of a baby when something goes wrong, mm-hmm. whether it's a mistake, it's a complication. Baby is not born healthy. Baby may pass away during childbirth, or sometimes mom passes away. So I'm, ha- you know, I wanted to have a baby. It was on my radar. I just gotten married, and I get into this childbirth world that I had never heard of and I had no idea existed. And to this day, people still ask me, like, what do you do? Because it's not well known what we do unless you're one of the you know unfortunate families that, you know, has to meet me after the birth of your baby. Yeah. And so you started that line of work before you yourself were a parent. I did. Okay. I did. Yeah. So, it's so- interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. And um, so I'm going to, we are going to focus in on some of that work and the lessons you've learned and how people can think about those lessons and how to incorporate them into their own planning uh, for childbirth. But before we do that, I want to dive in a little bit, as we do with most of our guests, to your own baby feeding stories, which is so interrelated to birth. Um And I want to take you way back to your childhood and have you think about your exposure to baby feeding from your earliest memories. 
What what do you remember seeing? Oh, everybody breastfeeding with a blanket or towel over them. That was my mm. family, at least. Everybody mm. was, you know, they would interact. You know, I always had a harder time with this. When I breastfed, I always had to go in a separate room. But my early childhood memories, maybe it's just because everybody had way more kids than me at one time, so they couldn't just leave the room to breastfeed. Mm. But my early memories are blankets, you know, everybody just walking around breastfeeding in my family. Okay. I have a pretty, so, big, have a pretty big family, aunts okay. and uncles, and we're tight. Okay. So that's interesting. So you do remember seeing people breastfeeding as not maybe not their breasts or anything, but the act of <laughs> breastfeeding. Um, yeah. uh, because most people, when we ask that question, you know, they might say, oh, yeah, I know my mom breastfed or I had an aunt that breastfed, but I didn't really see it that much. But in your memory as a child, you do have memories of people feeding babies from their bodies. Oh, 100 percent. Okay. Yeah, but my family, we're tight. My mom has, there's five of them together. They all had their kids together. We had a family business, so they all worked together. Mm. So we were together all the time and everyone had loved to have babies. So it was, for me, maybe a little bit different, but yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And did you play with baby dolls as a young girl? Of course I did. I played <laughs> with baby dolls. And then I dreamed of the day that I would, you know, the big day when I would have my baby and what, yeah. and what she would look like. And Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. And do you remember ever feeding the baby? Did you, um, did you do pretend play, imaginative play with the baby breastfeeding or was it always with a bottle? Oh, I always did it with a bottle. Okay. Yeah. We had our baby bottles and we had our babies. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty interesting um, that even though you were so exposed to breastfeeding, that for you in your little girl mind, the way that a baby fed was still with a bottle, even though biologically feeding babies from bodies is the the norm. Right. Well, maybe, I mean, some babies, when you got them, the baby dolls, they would, they would have the bottle with it. Right. The baby, you know what I mean? So yeah. maybe just instinctively, I'm like, oh, baby bottle. Right. Breakfast. But right. yeah, that you know what? I never thought about that. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's point. one of the cultural um, themes that I see coming up again and again, because we feel most comfortable with what we practice. And imaginative play is practicing for being a grown-up. And if your default as a young child is that babies feed from bottles, then that puts more distance between breastfeeding and makes it more challenging once you're actually doing it. Oh, it's a working theory I have that this uh, disconnect from our imaginative play in childhood to what actually happens when we grow up and how that impacts our experiences. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I know. Isn't that interesting? That is fascinating. Even I would want to know that for my grandkids, my mm-hmm. kids. That is, that is a great, I'm like, wow. I'm like, I've never put this together. I know. Yeah, right. No, Isn't that's that amazing. Yeah. 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 Um, but you did have that early exposure, at least you knew, did you know at the time what those babies were doing under the blankets? Yes. Okay. So that was, that was clear to you, even though you, yeah, I did know that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very good. Okay. So then you become a lawyer. I, I, there's a lot of things in between being a child playing with dolls and becoming a lawyer, I'm sure, but <laughs> you become a lawyer. Your first job out of, um, law school is. Um, these baby birth cases where 
they were challenging births and they end in injury or um, death of the child and trying to figure out if there is fault um, that can be placed on the care team. Am I describing that properly? Perfect. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And you did not have a child yourself. So, you know, those of us who, um, I I hear this all the time from people who have the opportunity to see kind of traumatic or, um, or, or scary, I'll use that word, uh, births, then I, I can see that that always shifts the decisions that they make, almost always, as people themselves becoming parents. And so what impact as you were getting into your practice and then becoming a parent, when you were pregnant, what impact did your work have on your own psyche and the decisions that you were making? Because you weren't the, I I can imagine that now that you've had this 21 years of experience, you have been able to glean more concise lessons than maybe when you were first starting out and also becoming a parent. So at that time, what were you thinking about how you wanted to handle your birth experience given what you did for work? Right. So this is actually in the book, which I know we didn't talk about at the beginning, but just so your audience knows, I did write a book based upon my experience called A Parent's Guide to a Safer Childbirth. Um, But I even mentioned this in the book. As baby lawyers, we we tend to want elective C-sections. The problem was that in 2004, when I had my first baby, elective C-sections were still controversial. I'm talking about the elective C-section at 39 weeks. Now, my girlfriends were pregnant and they were also baby lawyers. So they would tell their doctors that they had herpes because back then, if you had herpes, you got your elective C-section at 39 weeks. I literally have this in the book. Wow. It's because, like you just said, I mean, I cannot unsee what I've seen, unknow what I know. So for somebody like me to be able to relax and go into labor and have a baby was, I mean, the chances of it were slim to none. So I would talk to my OBGYN about it. And he was like, Gina, you're fine. You're going to be fine. You're going to have the baby naturally. It's going to be okay. You know, he just kept telling me, don't worry, I'll be there, you know, whatever. And it was, um, but he, so he would not schedule me for my elective 39 week C-section. Now I could have gotten a different doctor or something or told them I had herpes, but I didn't want to go that route. So what happened is early in the morning, I woke up in hard labor. I mean, it was, I mean, my contractions were so strong. All I wanted to do was push a baby out. I mean, it was very odd. So we we go to the hospital as fast as we can. I mean, I'm breathing through my contractions at this point. So uh, the doctor, I get into my room, doctor comes in and, you know, the, they're so strong. I'm, I'm like, I need an epidural. Oh my goodness. I don't even want to be in labor, but I am. And they're like, don't worry, you got this. And then the baby's heart rate drops a couple of times and I'm just not relaxing. And they were like C-section and that was it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, but I'll tell you my mental psyche, I was so just again, it's what I've seen. People, most people don't know what I know. So what, based upon what I had seen, even at that point in time was still very, just was very scary to me. So I think that my mental psyche was C-section and that is ultimately why I did have one. And then from that point on, I had elective C-sections because obviously after you have a 
one C-section, completely okay to have an elective C-section at 39 weeks. Now those guidelines have changed. And if you want an elective C-section at 39 weeks, you don't have to tell your doctor you have herpes. Right, exactly. That's that's an important change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to follow up a little bit on what you said. But before we get into that, can you tell me what you were thinking about baby feeding in particular as a pregnant person? I know. I mean, I'd known and that, you know, breastfeeding was definitely the best route for baby. So, yeah, I mean, the whole time I was like breastfeeding, it's going to be great. I'll do breastfeeding. So that was definitely what I was across the board with all my kids. Same thing. Yeah. And did you uh, do any preparation, learn anything about breastfeeding in advance, or did you take the approach that you were just going to figure it out as you went? Yeah. You know, I'm telling you, I did not prepare and I wish I would have. Mm. Now, this is 19, actually almost 20 years ago. She's going to be 20 in like two months. Wow. So yeah, (laughs) Uh, 20 years ago, we did not have amazing podcasts like yours. But if I would have had access to something like you are doing to help moms, then no, I absolutely, I love knowledge. Knowledge is power. Everything goes better when you have an understanding of what you're getting yourself into. So yes, if I had your podcast, I 100% would have listened and I would have probably been more successful at the beginning because at the beginning, I it, it was very difficult for me. Mm, yeah. You know, I hear people say this a lot, even people who have given birth really recently and they get really taken aback by how difficult the very initial postpartum experience can be. Uh, and this is one of the things I wanted to dive in with you about when it comes to the, your book and the work you do, because um, I, 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 as a doula and a childbirth educator, I find it very important to inform yourself about the birth, but we can't stop there. We have to help ourselves to prepare and mm-hmm. feel supported in that early postpartum period because the work starts at the birth, but it doesn't end at the birth. You have a lot of recovery to do and whatever happens in the birth um, has a huge impact on how good you feel in the postpartum period. The way your care providers treat you and listen to you has a huge impact on how it doesn't matter how the birth turned out. What matters is how you felt while making the decisions during the birth. And I know that's kind of what your book is about, too, is setting people up to understand what to look for and to have common language with their care providers so Mm -hmm. that when they're making decisions, they feel well-informed enough to do so. They know the right questions to ask. They know the right stats to look at. So, um, so in that time when you were just expecting to breastfeed, I, I never really put the onus on the person. It should be the care providers who are guiding them about what they should be learning about. But when it comes to baby feeding specifically, our doctors, our nurses, our midwives get a few hours of training when it comes to baby feeding in med school and throughout their midwifery training and their nursing school. So they don't even know what they don't know when it comes to preparation. So they don't know how to guide that pregnant person to making the decisions that are going to set themselves up for success. 
You know, it's crazy. And that's such an important part of having a baby, especially if you're, I mean, that's, that's their nutrients. Mm-hmm. That's their food that allows them to grow and develop. So yeah, the fact that it's just a few hours of training is mind blowing. Yeah, it really is. Okay. So then you have this delivery. Um, it ended with C-section, which is what you wanted to begin with. You just wished you could have elected it. Um, do you, uh, have any memories of the first latch with any of your children or what the very initial baby feeding was like? So the first one, my oldest daughter, Abby was very, she would not latch. It was hard. Mm. And then I had like the new nipples. So it was like, all they were just, you know, when she did, it was like, ah, you know, they weren't used to it at all. The first baby, um, so eventually she did. Eventually we got it. But mm. no, she took some time. And luckily I have an amazing sister. She should have been a doula. So, but she's not, but she should be. Mm-hmm. And she um she really would come over and help and work with the baby or you know, she'd be at the hospital, whatever, just making sure that everything was going okay. Great. So when you had those initial latches, um, that were hurting so much and the baby wasn't really latching, what were the interventions that were being suggested or offered to help you figure that out? Uh, you know what? I don't know. She was always over just pushing my nipple into the baby's mouth. I don't know. <laughs> like, Your no Gina this or no Gina that, you know, it was mm-hmm. constantly you know, like this, Gina like that. I just remember I'm like, okay, at that point, let's see, she had had three no, two. No, she had all her kids before me, before my, well, she has five, but she had the first three before. So, you know, she just, and then she would tend when somebody would have a baby, like my other sister, she would run to help them. No, she's just there. And then once they, you know, then once the baby latched and everything else and, you know, then she's always giving me like some creams or whatever to put on when the baby wasn't attached. So. Mm-hmm. And were you getting any help from your care providers? to help you solve the latching difficulties? So when I was in, because I was in the hospital for a couple of days, because it was a C-section, they did send somebody to help me. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I just, I, I'm not sure. I can't, you know, it's so long ago. I'm not sure yeah. if she really helped. I just remember my sister, because my sister is a very direct person. Mm-hmm. So I just remember her being like, no, this, this way, this way, hold like this, do this, mm-hmm. wait this, you know, whatever mm-hmm. she was was doing at that point in time. So I, it was more her. If the other one helped, I, I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is another um, interesting cultural shift. I'm uh, an international board certified lactation consultant. That's my primary role in the childbirth world. Mm-hmm. So an IBCLC. And um, we, this, my profession has only really existed since, um, I can't remember the exact date, but the late 70s, early 80s. So it's not a very old profession. And um, it really, we did not need IBCLCs when everybody had breastfed because it was the only option. And so when you needed help, it was your sister, your mother, your auntie, your cousin (laughs) who was helping you. But we became so distant from breastfeeding as the biological norm due to a variety of factors, one of which being women entering the workforce during World War I and World War II, 
and needing other ways of feeding their babies that we we kind of lost that cultural knowledge. And so now there's not as much knowledge that we can pass down from one generation to the next. And we need people who can help us. Our relationships are also a little bit different. We don't, we live in a little more isolated social structures. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're not living with your village. You feel comfortable. Somebody's shoving your nipple into your baby's mouth. You know, you might not be as close to your sister, or your auntie as maybe we were in the past, but it's, I love hearing these stories of somebody whose primary baby feeding support person was somebody in their family or a close friend. Yeah, as I said, we had a very close family growing up, and then that's continued, you know, mm. to this day. I just this past weekend, I was with my sisters. We were at my dad's, and then I went over, saw my mom. So yeah, no, we're 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 still going strong. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so the initial time was really difficult. How long do you think it took before you felt like, okay, I've got this? Well, it was probably a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. I yeah, felt like it was a while. That's not too so, long, though. If you can get it nailed down in a few weeks, I think you're doing pretty good. And oh, okay, yeah. And did that pain um, continue for some time, or did it seem to resolve pretty quickly? The nipple pain you experienced. I think it resolved after after I got used to it. It resolved, but just that first baby shock. Mm. Um, but no, it resolved. It was good. Okay. Very good. And then did you feel like you had care providers, your pediatrician, for instance, who was supportive of breastfeeding? Did you ever get pressure to supplement or um, did you have any weight gain concerns that you were dealing with, with any of your kids? No. I mean, I wasn't, I just remember my first couple of pediatricians that wasn't a fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they told me probably whatever they told me. I've just never paid attention. Mm-hmm. So, but I would have to eventually supplement because then, especially with the first one, I went back to work full time. Mm-hmm. And not only that, I, where I lived and where I worked and where my daycare was, was just completely opposite ways. Oh, God. So work was 30 minutes south. My in-laws had agreed to watch her, uh, especially being that young, eight weeks, Mm. except they were 30 minutes north Mm. of me. So I would drive then 30 minutes north to drop her off and then an hour in rush hour. So it really wasn't an hour. Mm -hmm. Definition of insanity. So we ended up having to supplement, having to pump you know, a lot. And then eventually it got old pretty quick because as part of my job, I also traveled the country. Mm. Now with Abby, I was still a pretty new attorney. So it was still very long hours, full time Mm. traveling. So with her, unfortunately, breastfeeding did not last that long. Yeah. 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 So for anyone who's in the thick of trying to make decisions about childcare and work and commuting and pumping. When you look back on those years of insanity, do you feel like there's anything that would have helped you to feel better in those moments, to feel less insane? Or do you just feel like it was something you had to get through because that's the way our work structure is that we return at eight weeks or 12 weeks when we're still brand new parents? You know, No, in hindsight, I should have taken some more time off. Now, later in my years, I became more valuable. So by my third kid, I was the partner in the law firm. 
So when I went back, it was, you know, I'm going to work at home most of the time. I'm going part time, mm. you know, whatnot. Um, so I had a lot more leniency and I obviously breastfed for a, a longer time. But being such a newer attorney, I was just so scared to get fired all the time. Right. Uh, you know, back then the jobs were, you know, and I loved my job and I didn't want to lose it. And I was pretty new. So, you know, I, I don't, I wish I would have tried to extend my time off or go part time mm-hmm. something, but I was so on this mission to, you know, become a partner, work hard, make my, build my reputation that I didn't. But now I'm, I've been in this for 21 years. I was a partner by, let's see, my son's nine. So I was partner at least by 10 years. I mean, mm-hmm. Oh, so what? Great. I've been a partner now for 11 years, you know, even so it doesn't matter even if I was just a partner for eight years because I wanted to take some time off with my first one. I think that probably would have been more beneficial for her Mm. and and for me. But, you know, back then you're young and not and just trying to do what you know. Uh, Yeah, exactly. And it's not really any working parent's fault that we don't have social structures that allow us to take the full postpartum time off. I mean, there are some studies that show it lasts up to two years, but we have to just rush back mm-hmm. into work if we want to maintain our professional lives. Or many of us feel that way. And you're saying in hindsight, you would have probably met the same goals possibly on a on a longer timeline, but you mm-hmm. can't know that in the moment. It feels right. so urgent. Right. Yeah. Um, I was always, even when I did go back to work, with the last one, I mean, I still went back to work at eight weeks. I just did it more part-time mm-hmm. at my house. Mm-hmm. So I still went back to work. Right. But again, not as much time and whatnot. But that one was, you know, that's a lot easier. And then I also, by then, uh, made more money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I had people come into my home to watch right. my baby. So I would work at home, watch the, you know. And then whoever was there, actually, it ended up being my, my it ended up most of the time being my sister, mm. the one the yeah, the one that loves kids and was yeah. with the breastfeeding. She was a big part of that. Um, and then there's been others. But yeah. Yeah. So when you were working from home, were you pumping or would she bring the baby to you to feed directly from the body because you were home? Or was it a mix? Oh, right. So directly. I would breastfeed mm-hmm. when I was home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would try to find work that I could do mm-hmm. while breastfeeding. So like so, reading usually, cases or something like that. Right. Reading mm-hmm. usually deposition transcripts. Mm-hmm. We have to read a lot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Line that up. Yeah. That to also takes some planning. I call this kind of work that we do mom math, you know, or milk <laughs> math. Um, because mm-hmm. it, it does take a lot of extra energy to organize your day around feeding the baby or pumping, no matter which choice you're making, if you have your baby while you're working. Yep. And then in that, uh, in your experiences, when you w- were going into work, like with your first baby 20 years ago, tell me what it was like trying to find a place to pump while you were at work how your employer was about giving you the time. Did you, um, did you get as much time as you needed? Were they tracking for the billable hours? What was that like? (laughs) Hit that one on the nose. So it's billable hours. That's been the thing with my job 
You just have to bill so many hours by the end of the year. And whenever you can do it, you can do it. So no, there was no extra time to breastfeed. I did have my own office. They put a lock on my door. So Mm. I did have that. Okay. So that was nice. Yeah. And were you able to find time to pump while still accumulating your billable hours? Oh, yeah. Okay. Because it was, you know, yeah. So I would, again, read. So it's like I'm pumping, reading a deposition of something. And so I was able to bill that time because I was reading. So it'd be like, usually if I'm reading a dep, I'm preparing for an expert deposition, reviewing their past testimony to get an idea of what they're going to say in my case. Mm-hmm. So just for some expert testimony, mm-hmm. that, was, yeah, that was about the go-to billing. Yeah. So milk supply is all about hormones. And when we have stress or fear hormones coursing through our body, then it kind of counteracts the milk releasing hormones. And I can imagine that while you were reading or doing work related to these really intense cases where people have injuries as a result of birth or death, that that could have had an impact on your milk supply. You can't help but feel something, or maybe you can once you've done it for so long. Maybe you should tell me when you're reading those cases, do you feel like that did have an impact, that kind of work on your milk supply when you were away from baby? I mean, I remember having, once I went back to work, that there was definitely less milk because then I had to start drinking more beer. So if the milk wasn't coming in, if I chugged a beer, I was great. Really? So, oh, it came right in. Let me tell you, it was like, worked like a charm. So, I've heard I've heard people say, uh, you know, this is a common Galactagog we hear about, and there's not a ton of research on it, but um, was it dark beer that you drank? Because that's what I often hear people say. Or oh, was interesting. Anything? Knowing me, it was just what I was in the fridge. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but... You know, I've gone to uh, from beer early days, whatever, to a wine wine drinking. So uh-huh. now I'm like, what did I drink? You know, I'm sure it's Corona. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think it's Corona Light. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. that was it. But you know, these days I'm, you know, I, I definitely prefer wine over beer. So yeah, that's yeah. yeah, hard to remember. Um, <laughs> Okay. You mentioned that you started formula at some point for supplementation. Do you remember how long it took before you needed to add extra supplementation? And did you continue producing as much milk as you could? Or did you just fully switch? It was always when I went back to work. Okay. So that's the supplement. And then, like I said, yeah, definitely the milk supply, once I started working, would, you know, decrease Hence, hence with the beer. Mm-hmm. And did you feel, um, did you feel any sense of loss about uh, transitioning to formula, or did it feel like it was just the best choice and and you did the best you could? Exactly, the best choice, best I could. Okay. So I didn't. I was gonna go to work. So and then at that point too, even when you get to Liam at. Um, the let my third baby, you know, at that point now I'm, yes, I'm not maybe working as much, but I got two girls mm. that, you mm-hmm. know, need, still needed a lot of attention 
you know, and I was like the Girl Scout leader. I was the baseball coach. You know, we planned the homeroom party. Valentine's Day was like my homeroom party for the kids. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, I, I was still, still busy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And did you notice a big difference in technology uh, of breast pumps from your first to your third or did they feel basically the same? Oh, I think they felt the same. Yeah. Yeah. I have heard there's a, um, a journalist who wrote a book called The Big Letdown about um, th the social and medical barriers to breastfeeding success. And she says this amazing there's this quote from the book. I'm not, a, I'm not going to get it exactly like, right. But she says, we can literally put men on the moon and breast pumps are like the same that they've been for like 60 years. <laughs> like they really yep. haven't changed. You know, the mechanisms by which they get the milk out are still the same, even if they kind of look more fancy. Yeah, that's fair. That's interesting. I like that quote. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that good? All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your baby feeding experiences. I think it's so important for people to hear just a wide variety of what happens and how people feel about what happens. And it's surprising how much we forget the things we do forget and then the things that stick with us even years later about those early experiences. So I appreciate you taking the time to share yours today on, on the Milk Making Minutes. Oh, well, thank you for having me and allowing me to share my story. That was actually kind of fun. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Yeah, walk down memory lane. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I'm not done having a conversation with you because we are going to continue to talk about the work that you do and how people can take the lessons you've learned um, and put them in a really concise format and apply it to their own planning experiences. And that episode will release in two days. I told you there was a lot packed into this episode with Gina. I was so happy to have her as a guest. And if you want to hear her again talk about the lessons she's gleaned as a childbirth attorney for the last 20 years, then make sure that you have hit subscribe on whatever podcasting app you are listening to right now. That way you get a little message that pops up that lets you know that the next episode has released. And speaking of that podcasting app, do me a big favor. Let me know that you are listening, that you appreciate the show, that it is a show that you would like to keep getting episodes of. How you do this is by giving it a review on whatever app you're on and at the very least rating five stars. Thanks so much.